Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Chasing the Light. Thank you so much for joining in and listening in again this week for entry number 12. This week, I'm going to be describing a summary of my recent appointments and trip to Philadelphia. So Zach and I made our trip to Philadelphia um, back in... um, Wednesday, on Wednesday we left the 16th and we headed up the road to Philadelphia and checked into our hotel that evening and went out to dinner and everything with the next two days full of appointments um, for my baseline two assessments as well as my pre-surgical appointments um, with the surgery set for September 11th. Going into this, it was tentatively set, and then we had to go through several things to confirm that, you know, that was for sure going to be the surgery date for my clinical trial. So we started off the day on Thursday at the virtual mobility assessment, And this was a two-hour assessment. I had spoke about this previously for my baseline one assessments. Um, It was definitely very similar to the last time, but they did do some extra tests on me this time um, just by taking what they had learned about my vision um, from baseline one and kind of adjusted things to suit better to gather some more information for a baseline two. So um, essentially, when you go into this type of assessment, you have to dark adapt. And um, for many of my vision assessments, you do have to dark adapt uh, to see how your night vision is um, working and whether it's working properly or if um, there are different factors that need to be considered whenever you're assessing these types of things. So, you know, sometimes I might need to dark adapt for 20 to 30 minutes, but to be fully dark adapted and using night vision, you have to adapt for 45 minutes. And when I say dark adapt, it means that you have to wear um, like tinted, very, very dark ski goggles on your face. So most of my time when I'm in Philadelphia, I'm walking around with ski goggles on, um, you know, just getting getting ready for these different tests that I have to do. So during the virtual reality mobility course, um, I had explained this a little before, but just to kind of paint the picture, you put on these goggles, they adjust them to your head and you're in this um, pretty much completely dark room. And there's several people in there, including my husband, Zach. Um, And then there's investigators in there in terms of research investigators. Then there's um, actually the creator of the assessment, it, you know, has been in there both times that I was in there. Um, and then one who are actually conducting the assessment. So, you know, they start me out, they put on these, um, very front heavy goggles. So they're, you know, if you've, if you've never used virtual reality goggles before, they're kind of heavy in the front. And, um, these particular ones have straps on them that you like strap over the top of your head and then around the back and they have to, you know, kind of work to get them adjusted and everything. Um, so they're fitting you comfortably. And then when you're looking through the goggles, um, 
there's usually some sort of cover over one of your eyes because with these vision assessments, they do assess both eyes, but they do them, you know, one at a time. Mostly there are, there's at least one series of tests that uses both eyes, but, um, Really, they were they were really trying to narrow down which eye was the worst out of out of my eyes, um, and how they're functioning in terms of these virtual mobility courses. Um, so you know you have something kind of blurry or tinted over one of your eyes to block, and it's making you use your other eye. And then to start the test, you go and stand on what the the test. Um, conductor calls a platform and basically it's a big bright colored circle that's displayed on the floor and you go stand on this um, circle and then the test starts so then you'll see some arrows kind of in different patterns on the floor and you have to to follow those arrows and um, sometimes you know I can see the arrows perfectly fine they might be bright enough or they might be a color that I can see pretty well. Um, and other times they're very, very dim and, you know, they might be like a red color, which out of my left eye, uh, apparently I can't see red at all out of my left eye, which I learned, um, at this most recent virtual mobility test. Um, so then you follow these arrows and you and you make it like through a finish line type thing. And eventually you level up to a point where there'll be obstacles. So once you get to that point, you're starting on that platform. Um, and that's sometimes tricky for me to even find the platform if the color's not bright enough or it's not big enough. Or sometimes I, you know, am standing like, somewhere where my lower fields aren't seen. It's like right beside me. So I really have to kind of step back and scan around through these goggles to see if I can find it. And sometimes I never do find it because it might just be the lighting. Um, you know, it might just got to a, a level of the course that I wasn't able to see with my current vision. Um, but when you get to the part where there's obstacles, you have these um, little handheld trigger things in each of your hands and you are walking along you're still following the arrows and then you're looking for different obstacles that are below and up and all over the place and some of them start to move and everything as you advance in the different levels of the assessment um, but you know they'll resemble different objects such as like a skateboard on the ground or a fan in the ceiling or um, a block you know I don't know what that's supposed to represent maybe a cabinet or something and they're in all different parts of your visual fields and when I see one I have to take one of my little handheld controllers and kind of find the middle of it and then press the little trigger and then the then it'll disappear if I'm right on it. This past time, I really struggled with um, the little, what I call the Mario ghosts. I did really well with them the last time, but this time, you know, I was seeing them, but I could not get my controller to the point where I get it in far enough to pull the trigger and it disappear. Like, I felt like I kept missing it 
with my depth perception. So that was interesting to me this time. Um, I didn't get as many as the, of those as I did the last time. But all my assessments, you know, with virtual mobility were very consistent with what they were for baseline one, which is great. That's what they want to see in these this study is consistency. And, you know, that makes me be a more reliable participant during the study. So I did that for, oh my, you know, at, at least two hours. And they would have kept me a lot longer um, through that. But I was, I definitely, my days are packed full whenever I'm up there. I have lots of different assessments that I have to do. So they kind of give me an itinerary ahead of time and we have to stick to those things. Um, and I really, I get about 20 minute break for lunch and it's not like to go get lunch. It's Zach goes and gets lunch for us and then like I eat it at a table while I'm dark adapting for whatever's next. So um, you know, everything went great with virtual mobility. I, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I did the last time. And it's not that I, I didn't enjoy it, it just wasn't as fun because it wasn't new this time around. And I was having trouble getting those little ghosts that, you know, I had done so well getting the last time. So I felt a little bit um defeated uh this time around for for that portion of it but um you know that I also got asked like I don't know 20 20 survey questions uh regarding like my orientation mobility and visual functioning in different scenarios and um you know that was my answers were pretty well consistent with the last time um, and I find that por portion very valuable for them. So I really try and think about those questions as I'm answering them um, because, you know, I want them to be able to gather as much information as possible to help them throughout the study. So after we went to virtual mobility, we headed over to Shei Institute. And if you recall, if you've listened to um, my earlier entries, Shei Institute is where my whole journey began in Philadelphia when I met with Dr. Sam Jacobson for the first time 10 years ago. And, you know, he had promised that there would be some sort of treatment cure, um, you know, in my future within the next five to 10 years. Um, Dr. Sam Jacobson has since passed away. But um, a lot of the people that were working with him in that research group are still there at Shei Institute, like Dr. Sedasian. Um, and Dr. Alamon, who is the doctor that I see um, at the Perlman Ophthalmology Center um, and who's going to be, you know, part of administering the, the treatment during the surgery and everything. So he actually started out at Shei Institute as well. Um, so I went to Shei Institute and when I got there, I, oh yes, I ate, I dark adapted and we ate lunch first before I started on the pupillometry. And, um, you know, the pupillometry, that is a test that I'm really like, I, I did definitely did better with it this time around in terms of, um, not being as bored, you know, this time around altogether, I will say I had, uh, definitely a different mindset going into this, you know, like for baseline one, things were familiar to me, but it was a bit more extensive and exhausting than I had experienced in previous appointments, even previous appointments with Dr. Allen a year before. Um, 
so I definitely got a little frustrated with certain things like in my mind, not like externally, but I was tired and, um, you know, kind of stressing internally during some of those tests on baseline one. So like going into this, I told myself like, okay, you know, you're going to do this. You're going to have a good attitude about it internally and externally. And, you know, you're going to make the best of it. You know what to expect. Like, so I really had to like get my mind right prior to baseline two. And it made all the difference in the world because I thought everything went very smoothly. I still went through the same tests as I went through with baseline one, but I just had a different attitude. And I think it made all the difference is, you know, being more positive and knowing that I can do it and knowing that you'll survive and, you know, um, those types of things. Like I, I really prepared myself for it this time around and I, you know, had a different experience because of that. So I had the pupilometry test. That is a two hour test. And basically what it is measuring is, um, the pupil's response to different types of lighting. So when I sit down at these tests, this test in particular, I, I've been dark adapted. I'm wearing a sticky patch on one eye and then um, a regular patch right over top of that because you really cannot have any type of lighting um, filtering through that because of what the test actually does. So then I put my face like on a chin rest and I'm looking into this machine and she will, the, the, um, the test, um, oh, I don't even know what you call them. Like the person who's conducting the test, she will tell me to go forward and you'll hear the machine doing different things. And, you know, initially I will likely not see anything because the lights are so, so dim or they're moving too fast that I don't even see them, but they're measuring if my pupils do in fact see them and, and respond or if they don't. So they're kind of mapping out what I can see and, you know, what I can't see. So in the beginning, I don't see much, but, you know, they do this, they do like push the button or whatever. And I do, you know, she tells me not to blink or anything like that. And then I sit back and she asks me, you know, describe to me what you see. And I say, you know, I didn't see anything or later in the test, I start to see different lights. And um, it's almost like when you look into the sky, like during what they would say, like heat lightning. I don't know if that's a real thing, but that's what we always called it when I was growing up. And you'd see these like different flashes of lightning and stuff in the sky and they'd be all different kinds of intensities, like be super bright or, you know, very dim. Well, you know, that's what it starts to look like as it goes from really, really dim to getting brighter and brighter. Um, and it's like looking at a lightning sky, you know, there in the middle before it gets really bright. So after each one of those times, I have to sit back and describe to her what I see, if I can kind of indicate what color it is, because they do um, four different series on each eye. So eight all together. That's why this takes so long. Um, and they use, you know, four different colors. And um, I don't ever really know what color I'm seeing other than blue. I can pick that out pretty well and consistently. Um, so you do that for each eye. And, um, you know, I just keep telling her what I'm seeing throughout. And then as the light gets brighter, 
I have to wait longer in between because you have to let your pupils get back to normal before you put the light back, you know, at my eyes again. So before it gets brighter, you know, you have to let it go back down. So that's why it takes two hours because, you know, they're towards the end. I'd say probably the last seven or so pictures or readings that they do um, are really bright. So you have to give yourself a significant amount of time um, to go back to normal, get your pupils to go back to normal. And you might be thinking, well, you're only doing one eye at a time. So, you know, why do you have to let them go back so far? Well, your, your pupils um, both are dilating or, or both are um, responding because your pupils, both pupils do the same thing. So it, because they come from, it comes from your brain um, and your brain's response to the light. So that one usually takes a while and that is in a, it's usually right after lunch and in a, um, really dark room and the temperature's just right in there that you could really just like take a nice nap. But this time I wasn't dozing off. I had a piece of gum in. I was chewing to kind of keep myself alert. Um, and it went fairly smoothly. And they, again, with that, they said everything aligned with what it was for baseline one, which is great. We need those reliable, um, results for these tests. And then I went on to having, um, some scans and imaging done after that, um, which are pretty typical when you're going up. They take a lot of pictures um, of your retina and different parts structurally of your eyes. And also they do, um, you know, different videos and stuff to see how your eyes are actually moving around. And that actually went, you know, it was, it was I'd say, let's see, we started that morning at 9 and we ended by 4.45 that day. So, you know, it, it didn't feel as exhausting as the last time, even though it was the exact same thing for the first day. Um, I just didn't feel as exhausted by the end of it. Um, you know, we got out of there at a decent time. And then Zach and I, we always go back to our hotel and freshen up, then go get something to eat and kind of walk around Philadelphia, which is always nice to just kind of go out after doing a lot of sitting in the day's time. Um, it's nice to get out and walk around after that. And, you know, we get back early enough to be able um, to call our boys and talk to them and and then get, you know, ready for the next day because it's usually an early start the next day. Um, and I get up early every day, as I said before, that like, I get up and I go work out and everything in the morning because um, that's part of my daily routine as well as, you know, there's so much sitting in a day's time um, in these assessments and I got to get that movement in <laughs> somewhere in the day. Um, so I get that first thing in the morning. Um, this time we had a little bit extra stressor that uh, I was kind of kind of wishing that I was in a different place while I was up there because um, our youngest son, Jackson, he started feeling sick earlier that week. And by the time we left, he was, you know, having a fever and everything. And like, you know, it, I, I couldn't be home to take care of him. Like, I can't just reschedule these kind of appointments. They're on a specific time frame, um, you know, to get this stuff done. And you have to do certain things at a certain time. And, 
you know, so I, I, for the first time, couldn't be a part of, you know, my son being sick. So I was definitely kind of divided in, in that sense while I was in Philadelphia, because yes, like, you know, I, I feel so privileged and blessed to be able to do what I'm doing and have this opportunity. But man, at the same time, I just wanted to be home with my son and, you know, sit with him on the couch and give him his medicine and make him feel a little better, at least try to. And uh, I, you know, I couldn't do that this time. So that was something that was on my back, the back of my mind, you know, the whole way through. But he was definitely being cared for, um, you know, and, and in good hands. Um, but, you know, mom just likes to be home with her babies whenever they're sick. Right. And that and this time I really I just couldn't be. Um so, you know, we just tried to do the best we could while we were up there to make him feel better. We were talking on the phone and everything. Um, but, you know, we, we made it back home on Friday. And by the time we got home on Friday, he was pretty well back to normal, um, you know, by the time we got back in the evening with some lingering symptoms here and there. Uh, but the fever and everything were broken. Um, so on Friday, I had my appointments with Dr. Alamon at the Perlman Center at the hospital. And I started out the day at 830 in the morning, I started with blood work, they took eight tubes of blood. And this is going to be something that's very common every time I go up there from this point on. Um, so they took eight tubes of blood, and then I had a saliva test. So I knew I was going to have a saliva test. I just never had one before. And I really didn't have anything in mind for what this actually was. And, you know, I, I, I want to be as transparent as possible about this. That's the whole point of this podcast journal is to chronicle this, this journey and, you know, to give everyone who's listening an inside look into what it entails to be a part of a clinical trial. Um, so I'm not going to hold back the details of these things. Like, when you're doing a saliva test, if, if you don't know what it is, you have a tube that you're given and there's a line um, about three quarters of the way up the tube and you basically have to get your saliva from, you know, the bottom to that line. And um, that was my first experience with something like that. And I at first I was like, you know what, guys, I don't feel very ladylike right now. Like I'm you're telling me to spit in this tube and it's like. Like, I didn't even know how to, like, create enough saliva to even get it up that that far. And um, eventually I did. But I did learn that is something that I'll have to do um, again right before the surgery and then a few times after the surgery. Because what they're, what they're checking for is to see if the treatment mes- medicine, once they administer, and it goes throughout your body. So... Um, you know, that's one of the ways they do that and through the blood work. So that appointment took, I don't know, about 45 minutes or so because, you know, it takes a little bit to generate enough saliva to fill it to the point where they, they need it to be, to be able to do their little tests and everything. Um, so when I finished that, I went up to Dr. Alleman's ophthalmology and everything. And I believe we started, oh yeah. We dark adapted. Um, I was dark adapting, um, and I had another small pupillometry, um, and that one was with the handheld tool that Dr. Alamon 
uses to uh, kind of shine the similar things as the machine, but um, he's just shining different intensities and different color light into my eye with this handheld machine. And he's got me um, patched on one eye and, you know, I have to look into this little tool and when it gets bright, I can't blink. So as soon as he's like, okay, ready, and then he will do the little tool, push the button or whatever, the light will flash. And the idea is that I have to try not to blink after it flashes because that's when they're getting that measurement of my pupil. So I've kind of learned when I can finally blink because they really don't want you to blink at all um, as far as these machines go and the tools go. But the doctors are like, as long as you cannot, you can hold your blink for at least two to three seconds after the flash, then, you know, you're, you're fine. Then we get what we need from it. So you do, I think you do three series of each of those um, in each eye with different colors and stuff. And that takes some length of time again, because, you know, once they get brighter, you have to give your eyes time to adjust and everything and your pupils to get back to normal. And after I finished that, I went right into a larger pupilometry and the same idea as it was at Shei Institute, but it does go a little faster. I believe, I believe we only do two series for each eye for that one. Um, so that one went really, that one went really smoothly too. And um, actually, Dr. Alleman had a uh, a person following him, like shadowing him on Friday, and trying to learn about the different tests and what they're for and everything. And at one point, um, one of the brighter intensities had flashed in my eye and my pupils dilated uh, or um, they responded again whenever it flashed in my eye after it was done flashing. And, you know, the the, shat, the job shadower was asking Dr. Alleman why my pupils were, were doing that when there was no light. And, you know, I, I said, Dr. Alleman, I said, would, you know, would, would you mind if I kind of explain what I see? And he said, sure. So I told him that when a bright light is flashed in my eye, I still see that bright light even after it's gone. And he said, you know, well, that just that confirms like our hypothesis, like that's what they assumed happened whenever, you know, a patient like me sees a bright light, your your brain is still it takes your brain a while to know that that the light had gone away. And, you know, for me, that's just amazing, like to be around people who understand my vision like if I were to tell someone that like you know I'm still seeing a light and the lights turned off like they'd probably think I'm nuts but like for once like to, to know that someone was like yeah like that's exactly like this is why it's happening your brain is still thinking it's seeing it so your pupils are still responding but you're really not seeing anything um so so that was a really neat highlight um to be able to like explain that and confirm that for Dr. Alleman, something that they, you know, the researchers and investigators and doctors have suspected, but, you know, couldn't really confirm with certainty. Um, so, you know, I went through the rest of the pupillometry, and then I had another test, and I think they call that um, the FST. I'm not, I'm not sure what 
if that's the one that I did next or not. I know I did at FST at least one. Um, and so the next test that I did, I, you know, put my, they had dilated my eyes at that point. So in between dark adapting and these tests, they dilated my eyes. And then I went on to the other machines um, in assessments. So I went into the next one and there's like a controller with um, a button on each side. And the button on the right means yes. And the button on the left means no. And so what you'll do is the machine will beep. And if you see a light, you say yes. And if you don't see a light, you say no. And it's the same type of like flashing and, and stuff like that lightning storm I was talking to you about from like the pupillometry. Um, and the intensities, you know, they go from very dim to very bright. And, you know, that tests, I think we did three series on each eye for that with different colors. And they kind of map out which colors I can see. And, you know, they're trying to see, um, you know, how what photoreceptors are remaining for my night vision and, you know, the structure of my retinas. Um, so I did that one. And I think we braked for lunch for like 20 minutes. Meanwhile, I was still dark adapting and everything throughout this whole day. Um, when I got to ophthalmology, I just started dark adapting and I dark adapted until... Oh, I didn't see light again until, let's see, about three o'clock that afternoon. Um, so after I finished lunch, I went into my visual fields test. And um, with that, you know, I have a button to push. So every time that I see the light, I would push the button. It's just, it's just like a little light and it was like a different color so it's more of a dot as opposed to like um lightning flashes uh and basically they're checking my fields and for this one they were checking um my vertical fields so like my upper and lowers and how much that I can see when I'm looking straight ahead and putting my head in this machine or whatever so you put your head um on a chin rest and there's two little parts of the chin rest and you're, you're, you know, you put your chin on one of them when you're, you know, assessing the one eye and the other when you're assessing the other eye. And I'm just basically pushing a button if I see the light. So there are portions of these tests where I don't see anything, just depending on the color or how small or big or where how small or big the light is or where the light is being presented in, in my visual fields. So if there's a length of time that I'm not seeing the light, like I get really, really sleepy. And at one point I did fall asleep this time and <laughs> the, the um, test coordinator is like, okay, we got to open your eyes now. Like, you know, we can't be sleeping. And I'm like, oh, you know, because it's just like the perfect place, you know, it's a perfect temperature with your face in this machine and like everything's dark. And it's usually right after lunch that I get caught sleeping if I if I'm going to get caught in one of these assessments. Um, so I, you know, I, I managed to like keep it together. Then after that, um, I had... Let's see, I had another test that I had to do after that in a different room, which that's always nice when I can like change rooms at least and I can get up and walk around and, you know, stand a little bit and move. Um, that tends to wake me up and I get a drink of water and, you know, fresh piece of gum or something to keep me more alert. Um, so I try and do that too. So I went into the other room 
and they did um, a different type of scan. And this is one that's kind of tricky for me because, you know, it's the same idea where I'm trying to see the light and push a button if I see it, but it's a really, really small light and it moves all over. So I don't see it that often. And there's kind of scanning my eye to see how it's moving. So I have to direct my eye to a certain point to keep this you know, test moving, keep the machine running the way it's supposed to. So that one took me a lot longer the last time, but now they've kind of refined it to figure out like where my eye needs to go. And then they can kind of direct my eye. And I really have to concentrate to focus in because I have that nystagmus, which I can't, you know, control, but I, I try my best to fixate on something um, with the motivation that the, the longer I fixate, the faster the test will get finished. So that one actually went pretty quickly, I, I, unless it just seemed that way, because, you know, I knew what to expect that time around. And after that, I went back to the assessment that I had done right before that and we did a horizontal um, visual fields test and we kind of had to stop that um, after we finished my right eye because I had um, two more tests I had to do with Dr. Alleman and we were kind of crunched for time because I had to get over back over to Shea Eye Institute and meet with um, Dr. McGuire who will be performing the surgery on um, September 11th. So we went and we did these last two tests. And one of those tests was like um, the old school visual fields test, where the doctors on one side of this box and, you know, manually moving um, the light up and down and I'm pushing a button, it's literally like a buzzer button. So it's not as, um, you know, technical as these other newer machines and everything, but they still like to do that one as well. Um, so, you know, we, we said our goodbyes with Dr. Alleman, we went over to Shea Institute and we met with Dr. McGuire and he did like a, um, typical, um, vision assessment, just looking in my eyes with the light and seeing how they're moving and checking, you know, like the optic nerve and everything and making sure there's no tears in the retina and all those types of, um, general things. And then we, you know, went over the consent and made, he made sure I understood all of the risks associated with the actual surgery and with the medicines that I'm going to have to take, um, you know, before and during and after the surgery. So, for instance, I'll have to be on prednisone beginning three days before the surgery and um, for a period of time after the surgery, as well as different drops um, throughout the day after the surgery um, for a length of time. I think it's it might even be 30 days I have to be on the drops. And some are soothing, some are uh, for... Um, just different reasons you'd have to use the drops. Um, but he was more concerned with like me knowing the risks of the surgery. Of course, there's always a chance that you could go blind, um, which I, I know that, um, there's a chance of, you know, you're more prone to, uh, retina detachment, retina tears. You could have, um, hemorrhages in the retina, um, you know, different, types of things that can happen in terms of infections that can go through your body. I mean, you know, it, there's all kinds of things with anything you do, any surgery. Um, 
you know, the benefits, of course, you know, there's, there's potential for improvement of my vision, but also the societal benefits of learning more about hereditary retinal diseases and these potential treatment methods. Um, so, you know, we covered all these things. We talked about some details related to the surgery, um, how, how, how it would actually be like I'd go in in the morning, then I'd have, um, at least a four hour recovery, after the surgery, I should be able to leave, assuming nothing, you know, happens out of the norm. I should be able to leave and go back and rest at the hotel then for the night. Um, but I'll likely have to be in, you know, laying flat on my back uh, for a period of time after the surgery throughout that night as well. And then the next day I come in and I get checked out. And then on day four, I get checked out again. Um, just to make sure there's no inflammation or nothing strange going on. Um, and then we get to leave after that. And we come back up then for a day seven checkup. So initially, there's going to be a lot of travel involved. I'm really glad and relieved that we don't have to stay up there for two weeks straight. Um, we thought we might have to do that, but they did give us permission since I since we are driving and we're not flying that I can leave after day four assuming everything you know goes smoothly with the surgery um and you know then then following like I I have to be seen a week out and then two weeks out and then a month out and the month out I'll go over you know I have to go through all my testing again um, that I've done in baseline one and two. I'll have to do those same tests again for post-op to see if there's any changes to my vision. And then I go through those tests, um, you know, monthly up until six months, I believe. And then it's, you know, every six months and it's every year that I come back just to see if the vision has improved. Um, so it's really exciting. I can't believe it's less than three weeks away. I actually just went this morning for um, my uh, pre-op physical at my at my local doctor here, and then they send all the paperwork and everything um, back up to University of Pennsylvania. And I already got the prescription for the prednisone, so like it's really happening, and it's crazy to think that. You know, a few weeks from now, um, I'll be going through this. This will be my first eye surgery that I've ever had. So I don't really know exactly what to expect. Dr. McGuire said that, you know, it's it's going to feel like pink eye as it's healing, which is cool because I just I just had pink eye back in the spring. You know, as most of you probably know, like I am, I was working in, um, K-12 education. So you tend to pick up a lot of different kinds of fun diseases or infections and stuff. And pink eye was one that I had uh, a few months ago. So, um, you know, I know the annoyance of that. And um, but I think I can tolerate it uh, for a few days to, you know, two weeks. They said in two weeks, really within a week, I should be feeling better within two weeks. Um, like the little stitches that they're going to put in my eye should be pretty well healed up and more back to normal, but full recovery within 30 days. Um, I have to be very careful, um, right after the surgery and everything. Of course, one of my biggest concerns was exercise. Everybody knows I exercise every day and, 
you know, I'm not going to be able to not exercise for a month. Like it's going to be bad enough for a couple of days, but I did get the approval. Like I can do the elliptical and, or like a stationary bike or something. I just can't like be swimming or doing things that's going to kind of jostle my head around because, you know, you are more prone to um, retina detachment or tears. And I don't want to do anything to like permanently, you know, scar my vision in, in some way. So I am going to do my best to follow the rules. And <laughs> although Zach's already kind of being bossy about the rules and everything, but he knows how stubborn I am. Um, so I'm going to try to please everyone and follow the rules and everything. Um, and, and, you know, I'm also kind of worried about the prednisone stuff. Like I do not like to take medicine. Um, you know, I, I just, I just don't, not even for headaches and stuff. I try to just drink a lot of water or kind of heal it naturally with, you know, trying to do certain things, you know, to, to, eat certain things or whatever, but, you know, I have, I have to be on this prednisone and, um, they did say that, you know, you are more prone to infections on being something like this, like secondary because your immune system is weakened on prednisone. Um, so I have to be really careful about protecting myself when we're going out so I don't get, pick up like any viruses or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm not super thrilled about being on the medicine for that period of time, but, you know, I have to do it. Like, it's, this whole thing is a sacrifice, you know, this is a sacrifice of time. It's a sacrifice of my body. I mean, it really is the way that they poke and pry at you and everything, but I know what I signed up for, and I know the good and greater cause of, of all of this. And I feel so blessed and privileged to even be a small part of this, you know, super important mission. I mean, they're gathering information that could potentially help a lot of people. And, you know, I, I don't look at that as any small thing. I, I mean, it's, it's a small part, but I think it can make a big contribution to vision science. And um, I feel honored to be a part of that. And, you know, if something cool comes out of it, like if I, if I do have some sort of vision improvement from this treatment or, um, you know, it preserves the vision that I have, then that's just an added bonus, I think, um, you know, because I'm, I'm more looking in terms of our general population and, you know, kind of helping everyone who is affected by these blinding retina diseases because, you know, what they gather from this trial can help in future, creating future treatments and future trials and, you know, with with the idea that maybe one day, you know, blindness won't be a thing anymore. And, you know, there'll be cures for it. So that's my mission. That's why I participate. Um, and that's why I share about this, because I just think that, you know, more people need to know what's available out there and what's coming down the pipeline for this generation, for this, you know, population of individuals and to find hope you know there could be someone listening right now that has just found out that they had a that they've been diagnosed with a blinding retinal disease and they might feel hopeless and really this time more than ever you should be filled with hope because there's just so much going on 
in the retina realm in the vision science with researchers. I mean, I'm just always so humbled and amazed every time I go to Philadelphia and meet with these doctors, these incredible individuals that are so brilliant. Like it, it's just amazing to know what IRD research is going on. And these people have like dedicated their whole lives to this mission. And, you know, it's definitely humbling and amazing to be around these people. Um, and I learned something, Zach and I say this, we learn something every time that we're there. And, you know, they always make me feel like I'm a part of their team because they think that what I have to share about my vision um, is valuable information that helps them. So it's really neat. It's It's an awesome experience. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. I love being able to share it with everyone to kind of give you an insider look into a clinical trial and into this personal journey of mine. And I hope I continue to, you know, be able to explain things in a way that everybody understands it. And, you know, I hope you continue to listen as I go through this. <laughs> the next the next big one is going to be, and I said this as we were leaving Philadelphia, I said, the next time we come back here, it's going to be the big one. So, um, you know, be on the lookout for that. I'm not sure how I'm going to actually do my entry that week. I think I'll probably record it like the day after and and a day after my surgery. And then we will, um, you know, edit it. Zach can do the editing and everything right there at the hotel and be able to post it up on by Wednesday of that week, hopefully, as long as everything goes smoothly. Um, so stay tuned. I appreciate you all listening, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs>